glad that you are there. Our series is called Counterintuitive, and we are thinking through um, some of the commands of Christ as it relates to us being a body uh, that seem to run counter to what our culture um, expects of us. Um, thinking like scripture is frequently uh, going to be counter to what our culture and the messages that uh, we are receiving around us. Um, you think of counterintuitive things. In fact, um, I used to have uh, an Android phone, and I know that this is divisive, so I'm sorry. <laughs> going to be divisive right now. Um, so I used to have an Android phone, and there were lots of things that I, I'd be like, it seems like I should be able to, and then I, and figure out what that was. And then I, I got an Apple, I got an iPhone, and it felt intuitive to me. Um, you've probably had the, you know, I'm going to have five people come up to me afterwards who are like, I couldn't get the iPhone to work, but my Android works great. Um, we look for things that are intuitive, right? We look for things that just make sense, that just work. Um, and s many claims of scripture, many um, commands that we've been given seem to run counter to that. Um, passages that tell us to be gentle in an argument. Well, that's not how you win. Uh, passages that tell us that if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to have real life, we have to give up our life. That makes no sense. Um, passages that tell us to put um, others before ourselves. Uh, last week, Bruce spoke on the first eight verses of Romans 12. Um, and our theme verse, I think, I hope I'm right, is uh, Romans 12:2, which tells us not to be um, conformed to the world. And, and Bruce had the idea of the Play-Doh press, right? We just, I asked my wife uh, yesterday, I was like, hey, do we have one of those Play-Doh presses still? And our kids just got out of the age where literally last weekend we took them to Goodwill. So we were like that close to an illustration, uh, to a prop on stage. Uh, but Bruce had one, right, the cookie press. And that's what's happening. Our culture around us, um, our flesh, our demonic enemy, is continually trying to take us and squeeze us into a mold. And scripture, um, our father, our brother Jesus, tells us don't be squeezed into that mold. So last week Bruce talked about the first eight verses. He, he emphasized our body life. And this series um, actually started because we wanted to talk about regathering and the importance of regathering and uh, the fact that we need each other. And then um, I happened to be given these two verses, um, 9 and 10, which talk about preferring one another. We're going to get to it in just a minute. Bruce, I want to go back, and if you didn't watch last week's message, I do encourage you to watch it. Um, he made the point that's in our visions and values statement that we have a lot of gifted folks, and you are one of them. The church body needs all the members of its body to be working in harmony. Uh, he also observed that uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about our, our body life, and what is 1 Corinthians 13 all about? Love. All right, some people are awake. That's amazing. Um, and now here in Romans 12, he just got done talking about body life in the first eight verses, and now he's going to talk about love. 
And in fact, it's pretty frequent. If you read the parallel passages that you were given in your uh, weekly reading, your daily readings, um, several of them are going to tie together the idea of our interconnectedness and then love. Love seems to be the lifeblood of the organism that is the church. All right, so turn to uh, Romans 12, 9 and 10 if you're not there already. And let's look. Uh, the surest way to get a really long sermon out of someone is to give them one or two verses. <laughs> not saying anything. We are going to, uh, the four points of the message are, are essentially just the four statements that Paul's going to make. So um, pretty straightforward. And uh, let's, there we go. Verse 9, uh, and this is, uh, I have the NASB sitting in front of me today. I forgot, and usually when I forget my, when I forget my new international version, I grab a pew Bible. And I, I turned around this morning, and I was like, nope. All right. But you can probably figure out what I'm saying. The, actually, the NIV says, let love be sincere, right? Uh, the New American Standard says, let love be without hypocrisy. In fact, the Greek word uh, without hypocrisy is uh, ana. Hypocritos. I mean, it's, it's literally the word hypocrite. Um, and so our love is to be sincere. Our love is to be unhypocritical. Uh, we hate hypocrisy, don't we? Well, hang on. We hate hypocrisy in other people. Our hypocrisy makes tons of sense. Uh, but the other guys, not so much. Uh, we hate hypocrisy. Uh, I think part of the reason might be that Hypocrisy seems to be almost the height of deception. We don't like being lied to. We don't like being misled. And hypocrisy is like the, uh, in some ways, it seems to be almost the vilest form of that because it pretends to be one thing and yet it's something else. And Paul says that we are in danger of our love being hypocritical. Of us seeming to show love but not really. Let love be sincere, or let uh, love be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? How do we do that? What is that supposed to look like? We would almost immediately uh, turn to DC Talk and say love is a verb, right? I'm getting, I know I'm hitting a really narrow demographic there, <laughs> but David Jones gets it, so it's like, that's good. Um, DC Talk was a Christian band. You should really look up if you haven't. Uh, I think they're actually still a band, right? I mean, totally different people than when I was a kid. The real DC Talk was when I was young. Um, but we often have this idea of love has to be active. How are you going to know if something is hypocritical or not? Well, look at its deeds, is what we typically say. But that isn't where Paul starts. He's going to get there. But how he starts is, look at the next uh, half of verse 9. Abhor or hate what is evil, cling to what is good. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying love cannot be disconnected from truth. Paul does not start with actions when he talks about hypocrisy. Paul starts with our compass. Paul starts with right and wrong. Our culture um, tells us what love ought to look like. And ought love be tolerant? Yes, of course love ought to be tolerant. 
But love cannot, and that seems to be the highest form of love at current. I might be wrong. If you have different thoughts, I'd love to hear them after the service. I'll put them in the second service. But for right now, it seems to be that what culture says is that the highest form of love is accepting anything and everything. Paul says that love has to be aligned with truth. We can't have a anything and everything approach. We cannot base our love on feelings, which is what um, it was as I was growing up. I think that was a message in my youth that I got, was that love was a feeling. In fact, um, many of us uh, think of that canonical movie, The Princess Bride, right? And I don't know how many of you watch the credits. I'm a watching the credits guy. I don't know why. Um, I just do. I let them run. I listen. And the, uh, the song, the closing song is, All love is like... A storybook story. You remember that? You know the next line? And it's as real as the feelings I feel. Now, it's a stupid movie. It is, it is not making assertions about the Christian life and how we ought to live. And yet, that's, that is a standard for many of us. Not many of them, many of us. And we, if we are going to let love be without hypocrisy, we have to make sure that our love conforms with truth, not feelings. How do we do that? Okay, here's how we do it. Paul doesn't say it right here. Um, actually, he probably does if you go on past my verses, but I'm going to limit myself to just my two verses and not steal other people's thunder. But I will have you turn to Philippians 4. And you probably already know where I'm going with this, but turn there anyways. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. How do we set our compass and be sure that our compass, our sense of right and wrong, is accurate? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm not saying you're all sinners. Well, we're all, I am saying that. We're all, you're all sinners. <laughs> so am I. Are the things that we're watching and listening and feeding into our minds in line with this list? I don't know if it's your music, if it's your Instagram or Facebook or Twitter feed, if it's conversations you're having at work, if it's a radio station or the television that you're watching. Whatever is true, we should be, we become what we behold. We become what we watch. We are what we eat spiritually. And Paul says that what we take in had better be true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute. And you may say, well, I have no, that's a pretty high bar, Sam. I do, how do I see if my podcast fits within that? Um, 
I have no idea about your podcast, but I know Scripture does. I am completely confident that any passage of Scripture is going to fit that. And Paul says, whatever these things are, think on these things. How do we force ourselves to think on things? So, when I came here, my first crusade was Yahweh, of helping us start to accept that God has a name that he gave himself, and I beat the drum on that quite a bit. I feel like we're doing pretty well there. Here's my new crusade. It's meditation. It's meditation as scripture commands. Uh, I think it's something we've lost, and I, I am not like, I, I, have just re, I have just found it again. Um, and it has been amazing in my thought life. You know, we're, we're a generation, uh, in fact, probably every generation, is a generation of instant gratification. We want something to fix us now. I can tell you that meditating on Psalm 23 transformed my thinking inside of a couple weeks. When I started, I would, I had to force myself to think and recite Psalm 23. I had to force myself. I would, I'd, wake, I'd lie awake in the middle of the night, stewing about something, worrying, fretting about something, and I would lay there for 15 minutes before I was like, oh right, I should meditate on scripture. I should pray. Um, and during the day when I was out and someone triggered me, guess what I didn't think of right away? Scripture. But not perfect. But what I've seen in my own life is that as I've been meditating on one passage for about three months, it has transformed the way I respond to people and the way I think. Not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying my days are great because they're not. But when I hit a conflict, pretty quickly now God is saying, I'm your shepherd. You don't have to want. I'm going to lead you beside still waters. I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. And it helps me have a right perspective. So we need to be taking in, not just memorizing random scriptures, but we need to be finding passages that address our fears, our concerns, our anxieties, our anger, and we need to be committing those things to memory, and we need to be meditating on them, not learn 50 different verses on the thing, but learn one and learn it well and let it soak in. So we're going to practice that this morning uh, with Psalm 23, and I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have a passage uh, that you think of immediately, I have not run across anything in the last few months that Psalm 23 didn't address. Um, so if you'd stand with me. We're going to speak, and you know we're going to take it slow, right? And I'm going to interject some thoughts because I've, I've had Randy Smith teach me Psalm 23, so I have some, extra, I have some better thoughts than what I had uh, originally, so I'm going to share some of those as we move through it. So we're going to move through it slowly. The Lord, say it with me, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Think about that for a minute. What are you then? It's a, a term of mocking that we've recently seen come up. Not recently, it's been around for a while. Um, but it has resurfaced again. Here's the reality, folks. Yeah, we are sheep. And how capable is a sheep of taking care of itself? It has these stubby little feet. 
and, and flat little teeth. And it's so dumb, it will let itself get drowned in a puddle. We desperately need a shepherd. And we have the very best shepherd that there is. And every single one of your brothers and sisters in Christ has the same shepherd. Let's do, uh, he makes me lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Sheep can't find their own food, not smart enough. They need the shepherd to take them to where it is. And sheep lie down to ruminate after they've eaten their fill. Lying down in green pastures is a wonderful thing. It means you've been cared for. Quiet waters, they're scared of noisy water. And so they won't drink, even though they're parched if they're in a uh, noisy environment. And yet Yahweh is going to lead us uh, to s- beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, in Hebrew, the idea of soul is not the immaterial part of us. It is the whole of us. I have laid awake many times thinking, he restores my soul, all of me. How, how amazing, how fantastic is that, that our Father restores us. And then he leads me on fantastic paths. Why? Because he wants to show off what an amazing shepherd he is. How fantastic is that? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the rod and the staff, one is used for protection against enemies, and one is used to grab the the dumb sheep when it's stuck somewhere. God's protection and his correction are beautiful things. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I don't know if Randy's right or not, but he says that the anointing the head with oil um, is not just a kingly or a prophetic thing, that it is a cleaning of the ears of the sheep that it gets the mites out, and it's a protection and a preventative measure. And I've laid awake many times thinking, man, I need my ears cleaned out. Do you? I do. It's just, I, I got to hear right. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How short is now? How long is then? This doesn't mean that we're thoughtless. It doesn't mean that we don't care at all about what's here, but it means that we got to have perspective. I would encourage you to memorize this. You would have thought I would have had it memorized. I'm sure I did at some point. Even now, I'll lay awake sometimes and I'll start on it and I'll be like, hang on, is it green pastures first? Or is it water first? And it doesn't matter. Uh, we, we get them both. 
Um, so I would encourage you to use that this week and uh, for months to come. You can be seated. If you look at the parallel passages that we had in our reading this week, they all talk about meditating on the word of Christ. How are we going to get it in? How are we going to keep it there? And the answer is meditation. Paul goes on in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. When we think about counterintuitive, oh, sorry, there we go. Uh, When we think about uh, something being counterintuitive, this really isn't because uh, brotherly love, family unity, makes total sense in the ancient world. The family unit was the bedrock of the ancient society. And by the way, I would assert that it should be the bedrock for modern civilization as well. But it definitely was then. You planted together, you harvested together, you hunted together, you gathered together, you built houses together. You literally lived and died based on your family unit's efficiency and teamwork. What Paul is saying to them now is that they think of their brothers and sisters in Christ as being their family. Let me say it a different way. We should think of one another as part of our clan. Social media, media, gossip, any number of things are designed and developed to polarize. Now, love is discerning. Love is going to divide things. That is the nature of love and of truth. I get that. But we are, and I see it as one of your overseers, um, as one of your brothers, I see it on Facebook constantly that we are polarizing ourselves, that we are being pushed and prodded into that rather than saying, we are saying people who agree with me, they're my clan. That's my team. That's my family. And Paul says, wait. That's my best imitation of Kip. Wait. (laughs) We imitate that which we love. We are family. Regardless of your political views or your views on, I don't know, mandates. We are family. We should treat one another as family. He's not heavy, right? He's my brother. Paul says that we are to be devoted to our spiritual family as though they are our clan. We need to reject the things that would separate us from each other. We should be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just the brothers and sisters in Christ who vote like us, vacation like us, party like us, whatever like us. And then Paul gives this counterintuitive idea. Prefer one another in honor. 
The NIV says, outdo one another in honor. You may say, well, what's the, why, why? that's a pretty big difference. And the answer is the word that is being translated is what's called a hapax legomenon. Uh, that's a fancy word. I went to seminary for eight years to get that one under my belt. It means a word spoken once or a word that's used one time in the context of scripture. And so that word prefer one another or outdo is only used once, so we don't know exactly how to, um, to translate it. So they do, they do the best they can based on the roots of the two words that it's made up by. But we ought to be outdoing each other in honoring one another. We ought to be giving preference to one another in honor. We are busy demanding that people see it our way. We make and share and applaud memes that mock the other side. We attack, belittle, and condescend to anyone who doesn't agree with us. We shame and silence anyone who won't get in line. And if in your heart right now you're saying, yeah, they do that, make sure that we're not a they. I see a lot of memes that gratify my flesh, but they are divisive and unnecessarily polarizing. How much of what we see and do is an effort to prefer each other? How much are we fighting with each other to make sure that we're preferring the other one? The idea is to show esteem or honor, but they're not honorable. Sam, Scripture says we do it anyway. We do not submit only to people who are worthy of our submission. How many wives are called to honor their unhonorable husbands? How many husbands are called to lay down their lives for a wife who doesn't care about him? Scripture says we do it anyway. So which side should give in? What? Someone's... It's like an angel spake. Both. Now you say, that makes no sense, Sam. We can't both. We can't both give in. One of us has... All right, here's my application. Are you ready? It's only nine points. You don't get them on the screen. I'll make you a photocopy if you want it. We got to start with our common ground. How do we prefer one another? We have to start with our common ground. Do we serve the same king? Yeah, we're not talking about people outside the church. We're talking about preferring believers, fighting to prefer believers, our, our family. Do we serve the same king? Yes, we do. John Piper said this uh, in his sermon on this uh, six years ago. Preach to yourselves that believers, no matter how imperfect, are the children of God your Father. Tell yourself the truth that they are your brothers and sisters forever. Remind yourself that Christ shed his blood for them. They are forgiven for all the things about them that make you upset. They are justified by faith alone. Don't claim the doctrine in word and deny it in your action. Hypocrisy. If God has clothed them with the righteousness of Christ 
you clothe them with the righteousness of Christ. Yes, they do bad things. They have bad attitudes. But don't dishonor the blood of Christ that covers all that. Glorify Christ's finished work by the way you apply it to them and then let affection grow. The rest of the series is going to be helpful for this. Um, hospitality, showing hospitality. How, how much could we reconcile our Facebook squabbles if we would sit with each other and eat? Stop mocking and belittling each other. If a meme speaks to your flesh, don't like it. Don't share it. Stop trying to silence, shame, or correct everyone. It's not your job to correct everyone. Understand your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why are they so entrenched? I asked myself finally that question. I was getting mad at everybody who disagreed with me. Why do they think that way? What a novel question. And I had some answers given to me that I was like, oh, okay. Still disagree, but I get it. We have to understand each other. If, you, if there's someone in the body of Christ where you're like, man, they just look like an idiot on Facebook, ask them out to coffee and talk and listen. Show hospitality. Forgive each other. Colossians 3, we're not going to take time to turn there, but Colossians 3, 12 through 17, I asked my wife to read that three different times this week because it was just like, I think we really need that. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 focuses on forgiving each other. Have you been hurt? Has somebody offended you? Forgive them. As Christ has forgiven you. Step six, determine the basis for your position or your conscience. I mean, dig into it and ask yourself, what is my basis? Is it scripture? Is it fear? There are two primary fears out there, brothers and sisters, that are warring with each other. And one is fear of death or maiming by the virus. And the other is fear of tyranny. And you may laugh. Whatever position you hold, you laugh at the other one. Oh, that's not really a big deal. We need to understand what our fears are because we are often pushed and driven by our fears rather than trusting God with either of those things. Sort through relevant scripture and seek wisdom. Don't take a position on feeling. Well, I really feel that we ought to. I really feel that we ought to. I don't care what you feel. Look at scripture. See if there's a basis there. Let's work from there. Don't isolate yourself with people who agree with you. You know what I love to do? I love to isolate myself with people who agree with me. They're so easy to get along with. They're lovely people. Let your loving father speak to you. If you've delved into yourself and then you've let people around you delve into your position, then make sure that you don't 
not ask your father. The psalmist said, search me and see if there's a wicked way in me. I've seen people on both sides of this issue and of many issues have pride in their stance. My friend Jordan Gillette said to me this week, even a little bit of pride sin. Sometimes I don't like what he says to me. And then finally, give thanks. My wife is, has been beating the drum. You want to, my wife doesn't get a, a pulpit for her uh, soapboxes, but hers is gratitude. And she's been beating that drum for years. And um, it's, it's right there in Scripture that gratitude is a powerful vaccine and a, and a sure antidote to the toxicity of our culture. The parallel passages have gratitude in it. I'm not making it up. That's not Sam's clever idea on how to have harmony. We need to be genuinely loving each other. I don't have an answer to every question. But I think that if we were to move through this process, we would find that we have real love and harmony and affection for one another, despite where we personally land on topics. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, for your goodness. We cast ourselves on you and your kindness. We trust your grace. We trust your mercy. And we ask that you would give us the, that grace and mercy towards those with whom we disagree. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.